0: Hi friends, you're tuned in to Legal Means Business, a podcast by Leeway. We're joined by some amazing guests who help us identify how to take your legal function and career to the next level. I'm your host, Steph Smith, and we're talking all things legal ops and legal tech, as well as other critical skills needed to help you thrive in the evolving in-house arena. Don't forget, you can watch us on YouTube, or listen on the go through Spotify or Apple podcasts. If you enjoy the conversation, please do hit subscribe and let us know what you think on social.
1: I think certainly the uh, field of legal operations you can feel is booming now more than ever. I think you also get an understanding from the amount of vendors out there that uh, Mm. the offerings in terms of technologies is booming now more than ever. The dollars flowing into this system is uh, booming more now than ever. And uh, I think that that's what CLOCK confirmed.
0: Legal tech has become an integral part of scalable legal functions. When chosen correctly and implemented thoughtfully, Technology can help teams work more efficiently, become more productive, and free up time to work on higher-value tasks. In some shape or form, legal tech has been around for a good while now. But in this new era of in-house legal, how can we make sense of such a crowded tech market? What can we expect from technology? And how can we choose and make the most of the right tools? In this part two of a two-part series with legal ops expert Marie Weidmer and Senior and Legal Business Operations Manager at Uber, Jonathan Johnson-Sweigel, we continue to explore the key legal ops trends that were talked about at the CLOCK conference in Las Vegas. And of course, a huge trend was technology. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hello, thank you for joining us on the podcast. How are you both? Doing
1: great, thanks. Appreciate you for having us.
0: Oh, no, delight to have you. Doing great. Thank you. Good. I'm excited. This is actually our first podcast with two guests, so I'm very excited. And of course, it's lovely to have Marie back joining us, um, seeing as you were one of the very first guests on the Legal Means Business podcast.
2: It's always a fun
0: one. <laughs> yeah. I love, love talking to you guys. Oh, well, thank you. I um, appreciate you taking a punt on us when we were just starting out. So, yeah, thank you so much. But of course, last time you were here, you were speaking about um, all things legal ops. So, of course, we're back to talk about more things legal ops. Um, and it's quite an exciting one because it's on the back of you both having attended the Clock Conference in May. And um, so I guess it'd be great to start with just how you were both in attendance at the event. How was it? How did you find it as our eyes and ears on the ground?
1: I think that the conference was uh, in many ways overwhelming and wonderful and everything that many of us had hoped for and mm-hmm. more. Uh, and the and more part was the overwhelming piece. There were so many mm-hmm. more people than I imagined there, so many more conversations, the Mornings were earlier and the nights later than I could <laughs> possibly imagined. And uh, I shook more hands and met more people and networked harder than I have ever before. I met vendors and uh, people out there working in the field. And I think that it was all of those things and uh, just a, a fire hose of it. So it was tremendous and wonderful. And I learned uh, a lot from folks. And I hope that folks learned a little bit from me along the way.
0: Yeah. Amazing. It does. It just, I felt, I was feeling the vibes through just posts on LinkedIn that it seemed uh, like a, a great atmosphere. And as you said, people learning from everybody, whether it's people who had stands at the event or people that they happened to bump into as they were walking through. So that's amazing. And yourself, Marie?
2: Yeah, I I think it was, uh, it was very gratifying, I think, for a lot of us that have put effort into, you know, a lot of us have been reaching out and kind of connecting in the community on LinkedIn over the last two years, right? And I think that this kind of was like, getting to enjoy the fruits of your effort. So seeing everyone that you had been following in person and and getting to know, you know, people in real time, and, and just kind of seeing the I really didn't feel the impact of the personal branding and, and the the effort that I put in to engage with people on LinkedIn, and until I went to Clock and kind of met everyone in person, and and it mm-hmm. kind of solidified the fact that we all are here and we care about each other, and and uh, it's a great community.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I don't know how you felt, but did it kind of show you and make you feel the kind of magnitude? of legal ops and and, and where it's going, I suppose, and and being part of that.
1: I think certainly the uh, field of legal operations you can feel is booming now more than ever. I think you also get an understanding from the amount of vendors out there that uh, Mm. the offerings in terms of technologies is booming now more than ever. The dollars flowing into this system is uh, booming more now than ever. And uh, I think that that's what CLOCK confirmed, even on the kind of – coattails of COVID where a lot of folks probably did not attend yet as a result. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of tech budgets are already tightening, so folks may not have attended due to budget constraints. They still saw record attendance, and we saw more offerings this year than ever. So I think that the magnitude is unquestionable. And the message may be, how do we brand ourselves uh, amidst what is legal operations? And is the future about strategy and strategic operations? So I think that that was another key theme from CLOCK for me, at least, that this is more than just dealing with everyday uh, problems, yesterday's mm-hmm. issues, today's present problems. It's about looking especially at data, storytelling with that data, and looking ahead into the future and helping the, the enterprise see those kinds of future thinking models. So I think that uh, the future of legal operations is strategic operations, as uh, Mary Carroll said. And uh, it's incredibly important that all of us look at all the offerings, all of the data, all of the stories from our own personal background and from our colleagues and uh, do the best we can to move into the future with more than just dumb luck.
0: Yeah, that's a great, a great, great point. And strategic operations for sure, because, I mean, it spans so much further than traditional legal, doesn't it? Do you have anything else to to add on that point, Marie?
2: Um, I think. One of the things I noted most, right, and I think you and I kind of touched on it when we when we did our podcast, is that there still is this um, outstanding question as to what is legal ops, as Jonathan touched on, right? Like you go to a conference like this and there's people that are coming from law firms and ALSPs and people that are doing contract management roles and, and admin roles and senior level legal operations titles, and there's just no there's still really no centralized understanding of what legal operations is and what the standard for that role is and kind of how to, you know, write a JD for that role and how to, when to bring that role in the company, right? And which is a cool time to be in this industry because we're all asking those questions and trying to answer those questions. So it's fun to be a part of a community that's still trying to define itself. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was a a highlight of a lot of the conversation at CLOCK was, was really trying to hone down, you know, what how do we market our value, and what is our value? We know that there's value, obviously, in the vendors and and the industry knows there's value, um, but how do we centralize it and define it? So mm-hmm. that that's one of the things I'm interested in seeing what happens this year.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, working for a, a legal tech vendor myself, I can completely appreciate that and trying to to find that balance between because it's a collaboration thing right as you said we're, we're all working out what this legal operations future looks like together and kind of carving it actually aren't we we're not just kind of waiting for it to fall into our laps um, and I think the best we, we, way we, that we can carve that is by working together and having the the widest fullest perspective that we can by absorbing perspectives from all corners um, I guess and not solely either not just the vendors, not just in-house, not just everybody. So it's, yeah, the coming together of that, I suppose.
1: I think that's really important, Stephanie. And uh, another key takeaway from CLOCK and from the growing community that I become ever more aware of each day, that each of us come from dramatically different backgrounds, and that benefits the community. When I spoke to folks at CLOCK, their backgrounds were so widely varying, but Mm. they... All seem to have wisdom that benefited me, and they helped to answer questions I had. The kind of uh, diverse perspectives that folks have, it's important to realize that diversity has more than one meaning here, and that many of us come from diverse backgrounds education-wise or in terms of our careers, Mm -hmm. and yet here we all are all all under one big roof together, uh, networking, helping each other, learning from each other. And the question is, who belongs here? And it's everyone from every background. And we're stronger together because of those diverse perspectives. So that was the kind of sheer joy of being around so many brilliant minds from such diverse backgrounds. Everyone had a slightly different opinion and had wisdom. And each piece of it I listened to and considered thoughtfully. I bettered myself. I made myself a more apt professional. And when I came back from clock, I was sharper than ever. And as a result of continuing meeting after meeting after clock with folks, I get continuously better myself as a product. And one of these takeaways was also uh, session after session, how do you brand yourself? Well, a lot of folks go to LinkedIn, like Marie meant, uh, mentioned, to tell stories, to connect with, to brand themselves. We connect with folks there and in clock in these kinds of conventions, and that's how we better ourselves. That's how we become sharper brands. The more people we know, the deeper and more authentic our relationships, the stronger we are as professionals in this industry. So that was a really big one for me.
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine because myself, I don't come from a legal background, albeit I've been in the, the legal sphere for a while now through legal tech and I feel like I've learned and I've absorbed a huge amount and that's all been virtual so far um, until some events later in the year. Very exciting. But yeah, it's just been incredible how much I've learned and that's only through a screen. So I can only imagine having all those different experiences. And as you said diverse backgrounds and perspectives around what we can do with that um, as our fuel so that's super exciting and we'll dive into diversity some more in a little bit I'm sure. Of course being from uh, Leeway got to start off on one of the major trends of the events being technology and I think when we spoke previously it kind of fell into into two buckets Um, and again with Leeway being a CLM it'd be great if we could start off with clm um as a major a major trend or contract life cycle management um, for those less familiar with it what was your what was your take on this and what was being said
2: oh um i i will do the mini intro before i let jonathan really um impress <laughs> us all but jonathan and i are both clm lovers so it was no surprise to us that you know the the heaviest hitter at the, at the event was clm vendors right it's really fascinating how many companies have entered this market. You know, it's a billion dollar market right now and, and everyone's trying to get their piece of it and everyone's coming out with what they think is the key feature in CLM. It's going to capture customers and capture the market. Um, I, I think right now it's everyone's trying to decide what is the feature that's going to get the most customers in the door. Um, you know, what's the most important? Is it AI? Is it, a you know, clean user interface? Is it, you know, a wider variety of integrations? I'll let Jonathan speak more to pre and post contract analytics work, which were a big trend at the event. Um, And kind of then we can dive into kind of what that means for legal ops people. Because I think while there are such a wide variety of offerings in the CLM space, I think the biggest takeaway is what we'll touch on later, which is like, what does this actually mean for people like Jonathan and I who are picking a CLM and rolling out a CLM? What actually matters? Mm -hmm. Um, Because there is right now, maybe two conversations happening right there's there's an interest in bringing out the most features and and vendors trying to try new things in the marketplace to try and see where they can capture their you know you know bring their unique offering and then there's the experience that those of us who are buying and rolling out CLM are having mm-hmm. and there's still some work to be done on on bridging that gap in my opinion but mm-hmm. you know it's a fun time
0: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> and jonathan I think the-
1: I think that there are three key pieces to this that I think about when I'm looking at CLM systems. And I think that a lot of people should, when considering CLM systems, get together a, a pick list of must-haves, nice-to-haves, and dream items that, that are far-offs. But if they happen to happen, great. That's a celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, in that process, I think that you have to realize that there has to be a clean easy-to-use user interface and user experience, that your uh, business is going to come in from the side of procurement, the the business partners who are raising these uh, contractual requests so that they can do buy and sell side. Uh, you need a one-stop shop for everybody to come do their contracting activities, and it needs to be really simple. They may not be Uh, preparing a contract, but every six months, so the system has to be that easy for them to use. You may have really high attrition rates, which means that your employees may only be there for a year or less at a time. So maybe they only see two or three contracts in their lifetime at a company. It has to be that easy from the user interface perspective. So that's the, the starting piece for a lot of folks. How do we generate these contracts in an easy and efficient manner for our business partners? And then of course you ask how do we easily review these uh, from the perspective of a legal reviewer. So that's your your main piece.
0: So Contract Lifecycle Management, or CLM, is a pretty crowded market. When you start thinking about investing in a CLM, you'll want to bulk your criteria into at least three categories. The must-haves, the nice-to-haves, and the dream features. Categorizing your asks into these buckets will enable you to assess CLM vendors against your actual needs and help you to prioritise which vendors are best suited to your requirements. It's likely that you'll also need to prioritise an intuitive interface and user experience. This is because it's rarely just the legal team using a CLM product. It will also be individuals from across the business in different teams who will use it at varying frequencies. So they need something that is user-friendly and obvious. Simplicity is key.
1: You also ask now, uh, as the market becomes ever more saturated with CLM providers, uh, who can help me out with contracts as they come into my system that aren't on my paper? Uh, That's the pre-contract analytics side. Who is able to use artificial intelligence? And that's a word that we should all be, I think, Uh, Our ears should perk up when we hear it, not in excitement, but we should ask questions about it. What does that mean? How does the artificial intelligence come about? How is it programmed? Is it playbook based? Does it uh, learn based on uh, my reactions to it? Um, So understanding what AI is and how companies engage with it and what it actually delivers I think is really important. And uh, folks that impressed me at CLOCK had the ability to take contracts uh, and analyze them based on uh, either industry standards. and and ideally uh, based on data from your own previously executed contracts. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, they're able to show you under what percentage of cases and times uh, a decision was made in line with company policy and under uh, which percentage it uh, was excluded from that policy. And more advanced systems yet can find those outliers really quickly that can show you the 4% deviations so that you can quickly click in on those, help your attorneys, who may be more or less junior attorneys, quickly decide if something is within or without of your policy. So that has a lot of benefit to it in that it helps your attorneys who are fatigued, who have mountains of work, who uh, are filling in for their colleagues who are no longer with the companies due to that high attrition rate. All of these mm-hmm. reasons and more, uh, you, you want some machine help, if it can, to analyze your contracts, especially in line with your kind of current policy. So I think that that's a really interesting piece that a lot of folks will continue to look toward because we're all short-staffed, budgets are tight, and our legal resources are limited. Uh, in order to make their lives better, to hopefully give them an hour or two back with their family a day and make their day you know 12 hours instead of 14, <laughs> uh, we want to provide technology that assists them at every turn. Will mm-hmm. it analyze the contract and make all the approvals on it? No. Will it help them do their job by highlighting areas of risk? Hopefully, that's the kind of goal in the future to that pre-contract analytics. Then once you execute a contract, what are you doing with it? I think this is an interesting question to ask a lot of CLM providers. Can you show me what happens to all of my data? How is it aggregated? How is it visualized? Data is, is great if you are a data analyst. Um, Data is not so great if you're somebody who doesn't know how to look at or read data or present it, uh, but you need access to it. A lot of times that's our executives, our GCs, our AGCs, um, people on the board. They want access to data, but they need to tell stories with it in a really easy and visual way. So dashboards are so important. And you have to ask yourself, does my CLM provider build in the correct kind of data analytics and dashboarding to tell the stories at the executive level? When I'm not there to interpret the data for them, I can't be there in the room with a dashboard. The dashboard has to do its own work. Does my mm-hmm. provider offer this? And does it tell the kinds of interesting stories that help us see the future? That's the 360 of the CLM world for me. So um, not just the generation of the contract from our business partners, but also for working from third-party paper, we need to help a- analyzing that on the forefront. And on the back end, once we've executed it, where does all the data go to help us spot trends and kind of future predictions?
0: Mhm. Yeah. What a brilliant summary. And and as as she said there's there's you know there's so many options out there and it has such a huge potential to to save time um hopefully so that people can get um more time back for their lives and not just take on a larger workload. Um but it's still amazing to see um I saw a poll on LinkedIn that somebody did recently and it was still about 90% of people were still using Word or the likes um, like that. So I think there's still a, a, a huge, huge market of people who haven't perhaps even started looking at, and I know from our own experience, um, when we're speaking to, to some companies, they haven't even, they, they, they don't really know too much about legal tech or CLM systems being an option. How quickly do you see this, that changing it from your, your perspective and, and what you can sense?
1: Well, the data suggests, um, and Marie probably has a, a more opinion on this. She and I talk quite a bit about this. The data suggests people are pouring money in uh, disproportionately to CLM systems. That's because it's so necessary and the kind of return on investment is so high here. It can do a lot here. You gather data, you can spot risk, you can uh, leverage uh, time saving and efficiency savings for your attorneys. A lot of magic can happen with CLM if it delivers the magic that it promises. So, I think that we'll continue seeing this trend. Uh, I think that what a lot of the, the long-term CLM veterans will tell you in the space, and everyone is wise to listen, uh, first look at your paper processes, clean those up, and make sure you understand first your paper processes, and make sure you have those lean and efficiently mapped out, and then you can move into a system, and you can help decide which system is best for you based on your analytics of your paper process. If you haven't done that hard work, which can take six months you haven't done that work, you really should spend the time with it. Otherwise, you risk investing with a system that you didn't line up with your needs. It's often based on your paper processes that reveal exactly what you need. Sometimes you don't need all of the bells and whistles. Sometimes you don't need a complicated system that's going to cost significantly more. Maybe you don't need the artificial intelligence that people are claiming they have. Your business needs are going to be your business needs and they are going to be quite unique. Map out your processes and let those dictate what it is. And if you don't have clean processes, spend the time and money cleaning those up first, because that's really where your return on investment will happen, in my opinion. Then you move into systems, and it astronomically pays off then. Not only are you having clean uh, processes for people to use on the ground in current state, but it moves them into a technological future where it's also clean, much more efficient, and it wastes a lot less uh, time with engineering and vendors trying to get it right, what you should have done in advance before coming to them.
2: I completely agree with that. Um, You know, even when I come into startups and and there's less less mess that's been made, right? It's still like important to spend those first three months. I always write SOPs based on the existing process pre-software and also building that, you know, initial, you know, cloud drive repository, making sure that the company is using, you know, one form of signature tool and it's flowing in one direction. So just kind of cleaning up, like Jonathan said, cleaning up, the the back end before you move into a tool. There are two kind of mindsets that I think hold back some companies from CLM and I think you know both of those will change over time. One of them of course is you know kind of almost the perfectionist perfectionist mindset, which is that you know there's there's no point in me getting a tool until everything's perfect and it mm-hmm. will never will be perfect And the honest part is like yes you do need to do some cleanup but like that's just all it is it's cleanup it's basic, sweeping things together into a pile and then you move them into a data system and you grow from there um Mm -hmm. and clm you know like we're going to talk about in a minute it's low code no code right so it's not that hard to a lot of these systems you can actually just drag and drop your like g drive or box folders in and it imports the data and uh, as well as you know you can add properties once you're in there you build the workflows pretty quickly so i think a lot of it you just have to be forgiving of yourself for the past, and then just willing to kind of keep reiterating as you move into a tool. And then the other mindset, right, is that the idea that if you pick one tool, you're stuck with it for life. And that's Mm -hmm. not true. I think the way CLM is going right now, there's tools that do two things. And then there's tools that do another two things. So having a flexible mindset is really important, because you can buy one CLM and actually buy a second tool and use both to kind of meet all of your needs like Jonathan and I have talked about or or just buy a tool knowing going in that you're only gonna get two out of the five things that you need and work on perfecting that and then maybe switch tools later once the technology has improved in three to you know, mm. two to three years. So don't be afraid of being able to pivot. You know, there's a lot of low cost CLM options. Not every CLM is gonna cost you, you know, a hundred grand or, you know, five hundred grand or a million dollars. It's you know, there are mm. some CLMs that are working on subscription models and lower cost, and I say it's better to Better to learn how to do it, and better to to get in the practice of doing it, than necessarily mm-hmm. like waiting until you're ready to move into the the biggest, fanciest solution.
0: Yeah, certainly. Uh, on your On your first point there, I suppose, t- in terms of the the fear of how the upfront effort, I, I guess it's important to note as well. Like you said, sometimes you can drag and drop, and of course you're not left high and dry. Um, presumably, all vendors are are there to to support with that transition as well so generally hopefully you're not left high and dry (laughs) and there is support there
2: it certainly is one thing that that i always say to legal ops people to think about when they're doing their rfp it's one of the things i always say is like you should do a pilot you should do heavy demos you should really get to know your clm vendor and understand the service and the experience they're going to offer you because the reality is as the legal ops person when you're rolling out the tool externally you're going your reputation is based you know your success mm-hmm. in the role is based on how that tool does um mm-hmm. and if you're not getting support from your vendor and if you're not getting you know consistent you know follow through during the implementation phase and months afterwards and you know communication and support um it, it definitely has a big impact on your job so i would say that's that's almost number one that i look at right is is there's a lot of great technology out there, but what is the company going to do to help me make the most of that technology? Um, Cause mm-hmm. if they don't help me with that, then both of us kind of fall flat on our face.
1: That customer service and, uh, business partner relationship piece is, I think, really critical for this. Um, and CLOCK is a good way to, to shake hands and get to know people in a more intimate setting and ask kind of tough questions of them and let them be transparent with you. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that folks are honest with each other and that they set expectations early and upfront. That's both our job as uh, clients and their job as vendors. I, I think that if we're honest about our needs and very meticulous about spelling those out, um, I hope that vendors are as meticulous about partnering with us to make those needs happen. So it's really mm-hmm. important that you feel out in advance before partnering with anybody whether or not their team's responsive. You can work with almost anything as long as the team's going to be really responsive to your feedback. So I think that you, no matter where you start, as long as you have a really great team behind you who's willing to to adapt and to take the feedback and to practice, you know, kaizen those small continuous uh, efforts of improvement. I think that you're on a good road. Your red flag should be when folks are unwilling to discuss, you know, potential solutions or envision something beyond their current state offering when they can't talk with you about potential solutions uh, to your business needs today. That's probably a red flag. You want people who are flexible, inventive, creative solution uh, masters, uh, because not everything is going to work for you. Uh, tomorrow that worked for you today and you want people who partner with you in a cheerful and robust manner to make their product better and Mm -hmm. your services so it benefits everyone when you have that great uh, uh, relationship with your vendor i think it's really key
0: there are many options out there on the clm market after you've tidied up your processes and defined your goal you'll then want to have demos with lots of vendors This will help you understand your options and experience how different platforms can help you achieve your goals. Also, when scoping and speaking with vendors, be sure to ask and understand what support they can provide you with. Your reputation is on the line with the success of this project, so the more support you can get to make the most out of this tool, the better. During this stage, be sure to get a feel for the relationship you'll have with the legal tech vendor too. Everyone's needs from a CLM are unique, so you'll want to work with a team that is responsive, open to receiving feedback, and willing to adapt and support whenever possible. Transparency and collaboration is key. And I can say from the vendor side, it just makes the whole experience a lot, lot nicer as well. I don't see, um yeah, why, why? No, everyone should strive for that for sure. Um, and, and that slightly touches on Marie's uh, second mindset that you mentioned there about transitioning you're not stuck with one when you move and, and you can move and having that that more flexible mindset which I think is is really important because of course in the grand scheme of things it is a relatively young market I would say so of course the products will develop and it's likely down the line that people will be able to to perhaps have all their all their criteria boxes checked um so yeah, don't lose 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 faith. But as you say, categorizing it into your musts, now your ideals, and then of course the the dream points that you said um, earlier, Jonathan is a great way to great way to tackle that as well.
1: And again, leveraging that that business relationship with your vendor to say, hi, I think I have a suggestion that could make your product even stronger. Your vendor wants to make their product stronger and they want your feedback. I think that Mm -hmm. I can't overstress this enough to folks who are already working with vendors. Please partner with them to make their products better. They want that from you and you want that from them. That's part of why you work together. And I hear far too often complaints, but I also don't hear people working together toward good solutions. So Mm. maybe if we partner together more honestly and uh, better, more efficiently, we get toward a cleaner product in the end together.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic point. I think the partnering point is so, so important, especially when, you know, it's a it's a buying, um, selling type relationship. Initially, you need to break down this strange power dynamic that I think our brains just assume is there perhaps. And the partnering is key um, for everybody to build better products, to use better products and to implement those um, within the teams as well. So fantastic point. And then in terms of just to kind of tie up the, the CLM conversation, are there any kind of other final tips or things people should be thinking about when it comes to, to CLMs?
2: I'll let Jonathan dive deeper into this, but, um, I, I, you know, the the, uh, the final really big trend is to understand there are companies that are building their own in-house solutions for, you know, legal tech, and then there are companies that are willing to buy out of the box. And I think The reason they're willing to buy out of the box is for that low code, no code experience, which is that, you know, someone like me should be able to roll out a CLM without having to go go to my engineering or IT team. And we can dive more into that. But there there are reasons why we want it that way and why it benefits us. And so that's a really important trend right now in the industry is like, how do we empower legal operations people that don't have IT or engineering backgrounds to implement legal tech and make sure that that stays that way?
1: I'm not sure if you wanted to save low-code, no-code for a separate topic. Otherwise, I could dive into that.
0: We can use this as a, as a transition to, to go into that. So it's Perfect. <laughs> I, I think
1: that um, it's important that what Marie notes is um, important for everyone at almost every scale to ask, what availability do you have of, of engineering resources to assist with your product? That's what helps you gauge whether or not you need low-code, no-code, and uh, who's going to be doing that work on it. And low code, no code gets thrown together quite a lot, but low code is different, of course, than no code. And Mm -hmm. no code is probably for legal ops professionals who want to make quick changes themselves, maybe do all of the design themselves, be their own kind of architect, so to speak. But um, it's often reliant on kind of the drag and drop flows and uh, easy clickability. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of folks assume when they put together low-code, no-code as a phrase. That's different, of course, than low-code, which still requires someone with an engineering background. It is some coding, and that's important because someone like myself... I'm not coding uh, enabled at all, so I wouldn't be fit for, for you know, being the head of a, a low-code, probably, system. Uh, so it's important to note exactly how much engineering resources you have. If you're a really small you know, organization and you really need to do that all just with, you, with yourself, maybe you're an associate general counsel who's tasked with this and you don't have a legal ops staff and still need to do this work, you, you might want to look at no code, or you're going to have to look at coding solutions that are um, sold by the vendor. So, you have options and you have to understand what your skill set are. And if you don't have the resources to, to buy the engineering and you don't have engineers, then you probably ought to look at something that's no code. If you have a little engineering experience and you can code a little bit, maybe low code is for you. So, it's understanding those differences and exactly what that means for your organization. And why would you want something like no code? To make quick, efficient changes, of course, and uh, to build out custom workflows, um, to build out you know any kind of variances in your system on the fly that you would like from a legal ops perspective. Often legal ops people are situated, not, not all legal ops people are contract experts, but many are, and they're situated to make those kinds of workflow changes on the spot themselves and because they understand the uh, complexities of the contracting process on paper, they build clean, efficient workflows and systems. Um, I've noted as a trend. So a lot of my favorite systems are built by legal ops professionals as opposed to engineering teams. So that's uh, partly because they understand the contracting process first, and they build out from that. So that gets, again, to cleaning up your process, sweeping things into piles, uh, making them neat, and then building them outward. So if you are... Thinking about maintenance to your system, you ask yourself, what do we have available and then, what kind of system are we looking for? That's, again, in your list of requirements. That's probably in your must-haves, um, uh, must-have a system that is fit for the engineering resources or lack thereof that your company has.
0: When it comes to legal tech, you have two types of solution: low-code and no-code. In essence, no-code does exactly what it says on the tin it requires no code to get up and running. On the other hand, low code solutions do in fact require some code and therefore coding skills to get set up and use. Understanding the difference is critical before you decide which approach and which type of product to use. Most in-house legal professionals don't have much coding experience, although this is certainly on the rise. This means that if you choose a low-code option, you'll need to make sure that you have the expertise and resources internally to support with the implementation, the ongoing maintenance, and any changes to the tool. If you do not have these skills and resources available to you, it's likely that choosing a no-code solution is a lot more viable for you and your business. No-code solutions allow the legal team and the legal ops professionals to truly own the CLM. With this, you have the power to make changes, build workflows, etc, all on your own. keeping the contract management power, processes, and speed within the legal team. And I mean i'm not I'm not too sure, I don't know what the stats are, but I'd imagine that most legal operations professionals probably would more require a, a no code. I'm not too sure on the, the how many people have a, an engineering um, background or a flair for for code.
1: (laughs) Based on my contacts, um, not a lot of us are engineering uh, by background. I do know that there are some teams that are lucky enough to have uh, dual engineer uh, legal ops folk. I think Mm. that's probably a a benefit in and of itself, but maybe they have less skills in other areas. That's again Mm -hmm. back to the diversity of each of us.
2: Mm -hmm. But
1: again, you can hire out these services through your vendor or you can look for a solution that just doesn't require it. Of course, I am... um, I am noticing in demos of things that some of these no-code um, attempts are not exactly what I would imagine when I heard it pitched to me. So it's important mm-hmm. to get a feel for what that really means when you're building out workflows and when you're engaging with no-code, low-code technology. Just get a feel mm-hmm. for what it means. Uh, get get some access to the sandbox yourself and test it out. Mm-hmm. It's more than likely that you'll be fine with it, but, but make sure you understand exactly how that feels to you and what that means to the vendor Again, we all have slightly different definitions of this, and so I think it's important to get your your hands wet a little bit in there before you commit to anything. So make sure you get some access and uh, check out what it's like to build several of your workflows. And... Um, of course, i, I uh, hesitate to say this, but when you have demos, make sure that uh, you're not just relying on other folks and kind of um, non-complex workflows. Make sure mm. you're really digging into something that's comparable to some of your toughest business needs. Mm. Um, you, don't, you don't want to get into a system and realize, gosh, this is a lot harder because I didn't test it out with my own, uh, my own workflows, and my own contracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your contracting and workflows are incredibly complicated, you should make sure that your testing of it is incredibly complex as well
0: yeah yeah that's a great advice uh, and um hopefully the the vendor as well would be happy to to test that out with you to make sure that um yeah that the flow works as you would expect and as you would hope and maybe some pleasant surprises as well just to that would be that would be nice <laughs> yeah. Have have either of you um experienced uh any low codes yet versus no codes i i imagine not being from an engineering background myself i imagine it's quite um a little more complex than the than the no code solutions
2: yeah i've i've worked in one system that um you know early on in my clm uh career where i had to rely on the it slash engineering team if i needed to make a change uh mm. They maintained admin access. And so yeah, anything that needed to be fixed, uh, which, you know, it it was fine. They were very good at what they did. But you know, as a as a legal ops person, that was a little frustrating, right? Because I think there's pressure on us to turn around changes a lot faster, because it has a big effect on um, the front end, uh, you -hmm. know, getting things in as quickly. So So I have really enjoyed, I enjoyed moving on to different systems in, you know, that were, you know, easier to enter and be able to make all the changes myself as the admin on the back end, that that's really been great, because it's given me a lot more autonomy and, and having done contract negotiations and knowing what is needed in the process, and also being the one actually going out and reaching out to like the finance and the sales and marketing and design teams, right, and taking that immediate feedback and being able to put it myself in the tool. That's mm-hmm. essential, because that really is the thing that reiterates legal ops value to the company is that that we go out, we listen, we we take you know kind of a diagnostic assessment, and then we actually bring that into the tool and if there's a delay in that process, it can kind of you it can lose the value, things can get mm-hmm. missed. So you really want to kind of break down all the all the steps in between if possible. <laughs>
0: yeah definitely i mean legal ops is you know quite often all about reducing friction isn't it and even in the the kind of time to value from feedback and the likes that's a a huge part as well so yeah great point Uh, do you have any other points jonathan
1: sorry the only thing that i probably have to add to what marie said that was super beneficial is that it's about often scalability and the size of business current resources and needs so again it's what, what do you have? Some organizations have quite a few engineers, and it may be beneficial for you to have an engineering-heavy solution to make a lot of complex uh, internal changes that aren't going to cost you. Maybe the out-of-box solution is not for you, but you have an engineering staff for it. Maybe you're a small organization that's just one legal ops person. It really does matter your situation and what you're looking to do. I think that there's often, my folks sold used cars, my mother still does, and I think that there's uh, often a a right price point and vehicle for everyone, and the same metaphor Mm -hmm. is true here. You know, there's a right product for almost everybody. And that's why my job is is less of, uh, you know, being dedicated or devout to any one Product or, or way of thinking, and to try to agnostically know all of the vendors, all of the products, all of the offerings. As Maurice said, every every product has a few things and bells and whistles that maybe not the others have. Some of them have combinations of a couple of the other two, but miss out on one main feature. It's beneficial for you to know what everyone offers and to mm-hmm. know what kind of uh, work it takes to make those systems work and to be a little bit of a matchmaker. And I think yeah. that most blue ops professionals. Should, should make, you know, uh, as hard as they uh, try to be uh, marketers of themselves as a brand, you should also be a little bit of a, uh, you have to have a matchmaker toward these vendors. Um, you should understand who's out there. And when you talk to your colleagues in the community, listen to their needs and maybe recommend to them the right size vehicle. You know, sometimes you have friends who say, hi, I'm looking for a car right now. And maybe, you know, a minivan for that parent down the street who's got three kids who needs a minivan. Mm-hmm. That's our kind of job to help each other get in the right vehicles that suit our needs and make each other happy. So trying Mm -hmm. to understand what's out there, the right size, um, and then talking to folks, well, how many engineers do you have? Are you looking for something that just you can run? How scalable is the solution? How many workflows are you looking to have? Those are all questions that we can ask each other in community to determine, you know, as matchmakers, who's out there that might benefit you? And it's kind of my job to always pass on a few names and say, here are a couple of people that I think you might really like working with. And uh, Mm -hmm. hopefully it helps people along the way get to the right doorstep.
0: Yeah. What a fantastic metaphor. I love that. It's perfect. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. I must say, cause I can see how, um, as you say at the clock event, there were so many vendors that it could be quite overwhelming, um, but, as you said earlier, the kind of first step is really understanding what your specific needs are. And then of course, going to the community, whether that's on LinkedIn or any private communities that you're in or colleagues, people you went to university to with, anything like that to try and broaden your horizons on the, the options that are available that, that suit um, your your specific need. Whether you're a, a single person or someone with 12 children, I'm sure there'll be a car for you. <laughs>
1: exactly right.
0: <laughs> um, any final points on the, the kind of low code, no code CLM technology trends?
2: For me, wrapping up this section, I guess, like Jonathan just said, right, it's, and, and you just touched on, right, is that like, the reality is, there's a lot of options, and that's great. It's an amazing time to be doing this. I'd say trust yourself, and and also do lean on your community, right? So, so when I'm recommending CLM to people, I do go to those legal ops community groups. There's a lot of you know Slack channels and and community boards, or even on LinkedIn, right? And just keep asking around and say, I want to talk to someone who's done, you know, a demo of this tool, or who has run a pilot, or who has actually used this tool. So actually you know while you're going to talk to a lot of vendors and do a lot of demos and that's key to understanding what's on the market I'd say also just lean lean heavily on reaching out I have not met anyone in the legal ops community that will not respond to a cold message from another legal ops person and we're mm-hmm. happy to give you you know not just casual detail either we will give you like we're we'd love to talk to you about <laughs> about our experiences cuz we you know I for me there's no amount of messages that I get about clm that i'm not going to answer so yeah lean on your community and yeah make sure that you know don't just get in one frame of thought and try to stick there um don't stay Mm -hmm. in a safe space part of this job is is being uncomfortable the people who do well in this job are the people who just feel like they're flying by the seat of their pants the whole time you know so i think just constantly asking for more information and new information is gonna gonna make you a really valuable leader in this in this
1: field I think that this uh, will go for almost everything that we talk about, anything I talk about in general. Be really honest. Be really honest with yourself. Be really honest with your vendors. Be honest about their demos, what you think about them, improvements they could offer, um, what wouldn't work for your business. You know, If their product just isn't in shape for you, just let them know. I'll, I'll see mm-hmm. you again next year at Clock. We'll see where you're at next year. There are people that I saw two years ago that I, I just knew wouldn't work for me then that this year I was impressed by. So give yourself enough leeway to say, you know, relentlessly, what does my company need? What do I need? Uh, what does my team need? And uh, what does the vendor need for me to make this happen so that we can honestly get to this place together? So it's mm-hmm. just about being really clear about your needs with everybody and letting other people do their job to be honest as well. I believe that mm-hmm. this is a fairly honest community and that as long as we're transparent with each other, I think that we can get a lot of work done a lot quicker and more efficiently.